All right. Good morning. Oh, it's good to be together. It's good to come uh, together again this Sunday. And if it's your first time here, let me say again how uh, glad and thankful we are that you chose to be here today. And uh, it's a real joy. And we hope that you found what so many of us have found, that Riverside really is a place that you can call home. That for us, this is, this is a faith family, and we're really glad you're here with us. If you've, if you've not been around the last couple of weeks, I'll catch up to speed real quickly. We're in the middle of a series called Choose to Believe, Overcoming Fear with faith, because what we realize is we're in a season, we're in a period of time uh, where there's a lot, there's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be afraid of. And the question we're kind of just trying to, to come at through this series is, you know, what do we do? As people of faith, as people who believe in Jesus, how do we respond uh, when we're confronted with things that are just a little bit scary? And so we're talking about, we're talking about that for the next few weeks, and I hope you'll enjoy uh, the conversation today. I want to begin with a confession, and I'm really hoping you're not going to think less of me for this. And I'm, I'm not even being funny. I'm being serious about that. I think I could score some points with our students, but lose some points with you parents in this story. So I'm going to launch out on this with a disclaimer to never, ever try this at home. Uh, these are confessions of a former youth minister. So some of you know that for quite a few years I was, uh, I was a student minister working with teenagers. And as I was trying to think of a, of, of a way to sort of set up today, this is the one story that either the Lord was pressing on my heart or I don't know, I couldn't get around not sharing it. So here it goes. And I'll just ask for your forgiveness on the front end. And if need be, I'll respond at the end too. Um, so when I was a youth minister, uh, as many youth ministers end up doing, you, you end up being the guy that's driving the van to the next thing, you know, whether it's to Six Flags or you're on a mission trip. And one, one of those times we were on a mission trip, I was driving a van full of students um, in the middle of Arizona on a mission trip, and we were on one of those long drives, uh, you know, a few hours down the road, and it was a long, straight road, that's important. There was no traffic, by the way, that's important too, there, no one was ever in harm's way, let me say that at the beginning. And as the drive went along, you know, it happens on these trips. People start getting tired and sleepy. And sure enough, everybody in the back of the van just kind of dozed off or was nodding off or had their eyes closed. And next to me sat one of my interns and I, I leaned over to her and I, and I said, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I said, hey, on the count of three, I'm going to hit the brakes. You scream and I'll scream. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Everybody's sleeping. Again, parents, there's no traffic. No one's behind me. I triple-checked the mirror. No one was around. And sure enough, we're driving. One, two, three, boom. Ah! Everybody in the van, like, lunged forward, arms up, screaming at the top of their lungs. And then we just started dying laughing at them. (laughs) They didn't think it was funny. (gasps) There's one girl that still won't talk to me. (gasps) Um... You know, it was, uh, I don't know. I, again, you'd never, ever do that. I shouldn't have done it then, but it, it was funny. Um, it made me think about this question, and this is the question we're going to talk about today. And so I think it's a really important question. Uh, you know, never mind my, my past indiscretions. The question is this, how do we respond in the face of collective fear? I want you to think about that for a minute. We've talked a lot about, we'll talk more about what do you do as an individual when you're afraid. That is an important question. But the question today is, is not what, what do you do when you're afraid? The question is what do we do when we're afraid? What, what happens when we, as, as a community, as a group of people, when we face fear together? When there is a common threat and we together are 
afraid. And I know that even as I say that, you're thinking what I'm thinking. Because if, if you have a pulse, if you've seen the news this week, you know that once again this Sunday, here I am standing before you. And there's events that have happened over the past week in our country and around the world that give us great pause. There are things that happen in Charlotte and Seattle and everywhere else. And when, when, when the news breaks and we hear what happened, we again are in disbelief. There's a lot to be afraid of right now. There's a lot going on. And we got more questions than we have answers. You know, whether it's racism or violence or terrorism or pick, pick whatever, politics, whatever it is. There is a lot going on that we can be divided over. And there's a lot going on that we are afraid of. And again, if you flip on any news channel, you'll see how people respond when they're afraid. And it's not always a very pretty sight. I think this is a really important question for us, for our time, for our country. But I really think it's, it's maybe even more important for us to ask of us. Like not, not just what, what do we do when we're afraid as, as Americans, as people who live in this country, as citizens of this state. You know, what do we do as, as a church? Like how do we respond as believers in Jesus? And what does it say about us and how we respond when we're afraid? And not just afraid of things that, that are happening in the world around us. What, what happens when we are afraid and fear rises within us because of what's happening here even in this place? Because let's just be honest. Let's cut to it. There's a number of us that are scared, that are nervous, that are worried, that are afraid because of things that, that happen even in this family here at Riverside. What do we do when we're afraid? How do we respond? Well, there's a story we're going to look at. And again, if you've been with us, we're tracking through some of these really famous Old Testament stories. And what we're trying to, to, to learn and discover and figure out together is, is understanding how these incredible men and women of God stepped out in faith, walked forward in faith, despite incredible fear. And even though we've read these stories maybe a hundred or a thousand times, I don't know that we've always asked that question of, of, these, of these men and women of God. And today, we're going to look at what may be one of the most famous stories ever told. And it's one of those stories I think we've always read for the most part one way, and we've always applied it just maybe one way. But, and I think it's unfortunate because I'm not sure we've really understood it, and I'm pretty sure we've misapplied it. But I, wanted, I want us to look again today. We're going to read a large chunk of it. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But I want us to look at the story of David and Goliath today. And what I want you to, to look for and lean into in this story is not... Not the typical story. I know that this story, we paint it as an underdog story. I know that, that you'll hear this story on, on the radio this week or on TV this, this week, and they'll say, you know, this is another story of David versus Goliath. And what we mean by that is here's another story of, of some underdog trying to, to overtake someone more powerful and, and someone who should be the victor. And, and we use this in our sports language all the time, don't we? If, if our team is supposed to lose, we're hoping that, that if our team is underdog, that they'll be victorious, that it'll be another David versus Goliath matchup, and we'll be the ones victorious, even though we're not supposed to to be. And that's how we've painted the story. And that's how we've read the story. And we've, used, we've even used the story as sort of a self-help story that, hey, read this story and understand how you can overcome your giants in your life, just like David did. And I'm pretty sure that's not at all what's going on in this story. But today, what I want you to lean into and look into with me is, 
is the relationship of fear and faith, especially as it applies to a community of believers. So you know the story. David is a nobody at this point in his career, in his life. And the nation of Israel is at war, once again, with the Philistines. And just to set it up before we dive in, they've gathered together at the Valley of Elah, and on one side is the Philistine army, and on the other side is the Israelite army, okay? And, and they've sent down their mighty warrior, the Phil- Philistines have, uh, this, this warrior from Gath. His name is Goliath, and as you know, he's some nine feet tall, give or take. And the scripture says that he's wearing over a hundred pounds of armor. So just the, the sight and the size of this man, of this mighty warrior of the Philistines, is terrifying. So in 1 Samuel 17, verse 8, I want us to pick up the story, and we're going to kind of jump through different parts of it, but I want you to lean into it with me. And I want you to listen, maybe in a different way, to how this story plays out. So let's look at this together. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you were only the servants of Saul. Saul's the king. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today, so send me a man who will fight me. And then listen to verse 11. I mean, you see the picture painted here. Saul's, Saul is, is, is just completely attacking this nation of people, this army of people. And he, he's, he's trying as best he can to demoralize them and to beat them into the ground. And then he says this in verse 11. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, listen to what it says. They were terrified and deeply shaken. I want to push pause right there for a moment and ask you, Why? Why in the world, I mean, forget what you know and what you've read about the story and what you've believed for so long, and just think about it for the first time again. Why in the world were were these men afraid of Goliath? If you know anything about the story of Israel up to this point, you know they have every reason to have every confidence in God. It wasn't that long ago that God rescued the entire nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Ten plagues. You remember those stories? And then they crossed the Red Sea and they crashed in. The waves did and conquered the Egyptian army. And, and, and Israel is set free. And then they've, they're led to the promised land. And even since that time, there have been times when they have needed rescue and needed someone to come and save them. So God has sent people, men and women of God like Deborah, like Gideon, like Samuel. And now he's given them their very first king, Saul. And this same king... This King Saul with this same exact army have in recent days defeated other armies like the Amalekites, the Ammonites, and even this same Philistine army. So why in the world are they scared now? Their whole story up to this point has been how God has repeatedly saved them. And even in recent days, God has done this in their very presence. But now, all of a sudden, they are terrified and deeply shaken because of one guy. What is going on? But just to show you how deep this goes, let's skip ahead to verse 16, where the Bible says, For 40 days, okay, so almost a month and a half this is going on, every morning and evening the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. 
For 40 days he's come out and done this every day. And every time he does, the whole Israelite army is terrified and deeply shaken. What? What? This is, you know what this is by the Philistine army? You know, what, you know what's going on here, right? This is psychological warfare. Like they are sending out their, 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 their warrior, their champion, Goliath the giant, and they are trying to scare them to death, and it's working. You know why it's working? Because the Philistine army over here, they have every confidence in their giant of a warrior. And you know what's being revealed? What's being revealed is that the Israelite army, they have no confidence in themselves, and apparently they have no confidence in God. You see, fear does a couple things, and I think you know this. Fear paralyzes people. Fear will absolutely paralyze a group of people. And I believe believe fear has a tendency to reveal what is most true about us. It, doesn't it? I mean, it reveals where our hope and our confidence lies. And these Philistines, they have every hope and every confidence in their giant of a warrior. And the Israelites, for 40 days at least, they've demonstrated they have absolutely no confidence, no hope in their own ability or in the God who has saved them repeatedly. Fear paralyzes people. And fear reveals what is most true about us. But this day, this day wasn't like any other day. Because on this day, some no-name shepherd from the town of Bethlehem arrives on the scene. His daddy had sent him over to check on his older brothers who were in Saul's army. And I I want you to hear what happens. Because when David, who's too young to be a part of the army, arrives on the scene, he is in shock and awe at what is going on. In verse 20, we pick up the story and it says this. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse, his dad, had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other. Army against army. David left, left his things with a keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel, in verse 24. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright like little schoolgirls. Okay, I added the last part, but it should have been in there. <laughs> Uh, they see him come out, he, he gives us taunt, and they begin to run away in, in, in terror and fear. And David's like, what, what's, what's up? What's going on? Where are you guys going? He is in complete and utter disbelief. For 40 days, these soldiers that belong to the army of Israel who have seen God act over and over again on their behalf for 40 days, they are frozen in fear on their side of the valley of Elah. And I wish I could be mad at him. I wish I could be angry at him. But the more and more I've just sat and thought and listened to this story this week, you know what the Spirit of God has been impressing on my heart is this question. How many times, how many times have we, in the very same way, been frozen by fear and hope that the giant, whatever it is, will just go away? 
I mean, this was their whole strategy, wasn't it? Uh, we're, we're just going to wait. And maybe, just maybe, it'll go away all by itself. You ever done this? I don't know if, if you've got some struggle or some fear or something you're afraid of that's going on, you know, maybe at where you work or, or maybe in your family or like we said before, maybe even in this church. And you're hoping that whatever that giant is, you're just hoping if you wait long enough, and, and the truth is you're frozen in fear, but what you're hoping is that if you wait long enough, it'll just go away. Whatever it is, you're hoping it'll just go away all by itself. That was their complete battle plan this moment. And so many times, that's our battle plan too. For 40 days, they've been frozen in fear, hoping this giant would go away. And so many times in my life and your life, I think the same is true of us. Man, we're frozen in fear, and we're hoping that the giant, whatever it is, would just go away. But this time, and this day, something's different, right? Because there's this, this kid who shows up on the scene with a bag of bread. And instead of being full of fear, this guy is full of faith. Verse 32, listen to what happens. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Now, let's just pause right there, right? (laughs) Like, how did David even get an audience with the king of Israel? I don't even know. But here he is talking to the king, and he has the courage to even speak up in his presence. And then he says this. Basically, I know you're terrified of him because it should be you fighting him. I know that all of your men are terrified of him because it should be them fighting him. But if none of you will do it, I'll go do it. Don't worry about it. Verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You ain't got a chance. And by the way, Saul's got something to lose here. If he were by some off chance to send David to fight, and David gets slaughtered like he fully expects to happen, what does that mean? It means Saul and and his entire army are going to be slaves to these Philistines. Saul's not going to roll those dice. Verse 34. But David persisted. Can you just believe the, the gall of this kid to speak up again? I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. To which I'm sure Saul replied, wonderful, great resume. Come back to me in five years. <laughs> You've been a shepherd, boy." David goes on. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with my club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw. Are you listening to this story? Have you read this part? And I club it to death. (laughs) I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine too. What in the world are you talking about, David, right? I heard a story this week, a guy was talking about he was hiking up in the mountains and they had told him before they went up into these particular mountains that there were a lot of black bears out and about. So kind of just be aware of that and be careful for that. Keep your, all your food put up, all the normal things to be safe and to be aware of. So he gets up on top of the mountain and he's, he's kind of in a place where there's really nowhere to go. He's kind of enjoying the beauty of God's creation. And all of a sudden he sees this black bear. But it's like 30 yards away and it's coming at him. Now, you know, if you've ever been in a moment like this where it's like it feels like life or death, you've got to make a quick decision, and he doesn't know what to do. He knows he shouldn't run because it'll chase him. There's nothing to climb, and if he could, that wouldn't help. He didn't, he didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, now the bear's like 20 yards away, closing in, and he remembers 
that, you know, and by the way, wives, you should know that we're not wasting our time when we do this. He remembers all the times he watched like Survivor Man and Bear Grylls, you know, and, and it saved his life. So this is, I'm giving you guys a lot of good stuff here. You can watch this anytime you want now. He's up there and he remembers that on one of those episodes, on one of those shows, one time they said, if you're ever facing a bear, like in real life, because this apparently happens a lot, <laughs> that um, what you do is you try to get as big as possible and roar as loud as possible, and maybe that'll scare the bear away. And so he did that. He did that. The bear's closing in. It's 15 yards away now, and he didn't know if it's going to work, but he's got nothing to lose. He throws up his arms as big as he can, and he's roar, you know, as loud as he can. And sure enough, the bear turned away. <laughs> he saved his life. Now, it's one thing it's one thing to scare a bear off. It's a completely another thing to take a club and to kill a bear or a lion. Are you kidding me, David? You've done this? What's different about David in this moment is that he's got overwhelming confidence, even in the face of Goliath, because he knows what God has done in his own life in the past. And I don't know about you, but anytime I grow really scared or really afraid, whenever I lose confidence, in myself or, or even in God. I can tell you that 10 times out of 10, the reason is, just like Saul and the boys, I've forgotten what God's done in the past. So I've got no confidence for the future. But when you remember, David knew there's no way he could ever kill a lion or a bear with his bare hands, except, except that God was doing something in his life. And because God had done that, he knew God could do this. And here's the truth I think is true for you and me. And this is something you may want to write down. But the bigger your God, the smaller the giant. If you're a person that tends to be afraid, then maybe you're a person like me that for far too long has had a God that's way too small. Because when you have a God the size of David's God, there's no Goliath, there's no giant that's going to be tall enough to scare you. So verse 40. David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in a shepherd's bag. Then armed with only a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started out across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. And sneering in contempt at, his ruddy, at this ruddy-faced boy, he said, Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come out here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of, Lord, of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head and then I'll give you... I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. And oh, by the way, you might be interested to know that in those days, they said slingers, that's what they called, that's what they called the men in the army who could wield a slingshot, that they could, they, could, they could throw it so fast they could hit a target within a hair's breadth. 
Modern ballistics officers say that it was, that stone would be coming at the speed of a bullet. So you think Goliath, you think Goliath was the, the one who was going to win this fight? He basically brought a sword to a gunfight. The dude never had a chance. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then, catch this, this is huge. Then, only then, after Goliath is dead, the men of Israel and Judah, they find their faith and gave a great shout of triumph. And they rushed out after the Philistines. Listen, we've only got a few minutes left, so I want you to think quick. Who are you in the story? Are you more like Saul and his soldiers? Or are you more like this no-name shepherd boy from Bethlehem, full of faith? You see, too often I think what happens for you and me is we get afraid. And what happens in your life and in my life is we begin to use our fear to control other people. And maybe we don't mean to, and maybe it's not on purpose, maybe it's not malicious, but this is what happens. We come up with every reason in the book not to do something, and the problem is, is none of those reasons are really the reason. The reason is the deeper reason. The reason is we're afraid. And so we use our fear like a sword, and we, we wield it around, and we poke people with it, and we try to use it to control people, because the truth is, the real truth is, is, is we're afraid. There's a story of another king. It's not a true story, but there's a story of a king who had a nightmare one night. He had a nightmare that, that on the day of his next birthday, he would be killed and he would lose all of his treasure. So the next morning he woke up and he was terrified, consumed with fear, paralyzed by fear. So he, he got all of his treasure into his throne room and he set up guards around the room and he sat there on his throne and he thought, I'm protected. I'm protected, my treasure's protected, I can't be harmed. Well, as his birthday grew closer, he got even more afraid. So he relocated all of his wealth, all of his treasure to a more secure room, and he doubled the guard around it. Now he felt even more safe. But then it came up to to the week before his birthday, and he got really, really scared that something was going to happen. He was going to be killed, and he was going to lose his treasure. And so he moved, he had his men move all of his treasure into a secure vault with only one entrance. And then he, he walked into the vault and he instructed his guards to shut the door to the vault. And then once they shut it, to build a brick wall in front of it so no one could get in. So on the day of his birthday, he walks into this vault. They shut the door. They build the brick wall. And he says, don't tear it down. Don't open it until my birthday is over. He goes in. He's there the whole day. 12.01 a.m. The guards bust down the wall. They open the door to the vault. And they find the king dead. Suffocated. Yeah, killed, not by some enemy, but by his own fear. And he lost everything. You see, what you and I try to do is we try to protect ourselves and we fight for our security and we retreat. And we can be paralyzed by fear and we can retreat day after day because of our fear But I'm telling you, church, as the people of God, what we're being called to do is to be a little bit more like David and to lean forward in faith, no matter the giant. I mean, here it is. Never doubt the power of your invisible God when faced with any visible giant. Don't ever be intimidated or scared 
of some visible giant, when you know that you know that you know that you have the almighty power of the invisible God on your side, we sang it before, your God is for you, your God is with you. We are more than conquerors, and it's not because of who we are, it's because of who our God is. You want to know why companies shut their doors and organizations close and churches end up folding? It's because, and they make it sound really good, but it's because, you know it, they circled the wagons. They got scared. They turned inward. And fear killed that church. That's what fear does. It turns us inward. It makes our perceptions our realities. We get scared of what might happen if. David could have just been just, he could have been just as terrified. But he chose to move forward in faith, not even knowing how the battle was going to go, but believing that God did. How do we respond as a church when we're afraid? Let me tell you my hope. My hope is that we're moving forward in faith. My hope is that we're moving forward in faith. May we as the people of God, as, may we as believers in Jesus, may we always be moving forward in faith. And that doesn't mean we're going to move forward perfectly. It doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. But my goodness, may we, let's never circle the wagons. Let's never retreat in fear. Let's always be moving forward in faith because we know who is with us and who is for us. And we know that, that it's all about him. Man, may we just have, let's be honest, we need some Davids in this room. We need some Davids. We need some men and women of God to stand up in faith and lead us forward. We need some Davids to lead us forward in faith. Church, if you would stand. You know, the the truth is I don't know all there is to be afraid of. And in your life, in your family life, in your church life, in your work life, there may be things going on that I'm completely unaware of. And as the case is every Sunday, we want to make sure we're praying together. This is where faith begins for us. We believe. We believe there is one who gives us incredible confidence for the future. Because we know what he's done in the past. And we're going to sing a song in a minute. And our elders, they're going to kind of move around the room. And they may even go up to some of you and they may want to pray with you. And I, and I encourage them to do that every week, to go and to not just be on the edges, but to go find some of you to pray with. And if you need someone to pray with and, they don't, and they're not right next to you, just go put an arm on a shoulder and they will start praying for you right then and there. And they don't even need all the reasons. They'll, they'll just be glad to, to offer up a prayer for you and, and your family and, and your faith and that God would give you faith. Um, we want to do that. We can do that because we actually have a David. We have one that went before us. And strange as it may sound, he was from Bethlehem too. And the reason that we don't have to be afraid isn't because of what David did versus Goliath, but because of what Jesus did versus the cross. And the reason that you and I, and that together as a community of believers, can stand in faith today and not be afraid is because we already know how the story ends, and we already know who wins. And so if, if for any reason you are afraid today, and it's okay, you're going to feel afraid. What I want to happen is for you to let faith overcome that fear and for you to put your hope and your trust in God. So if we can pray for you today, if we can reassure your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, let's, 
let's take time to do that as we sing the song.